0: hello everyone welcome to then now whatever the wrestling podcast i'm your host with dr among duncan joyce I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Kyle? Considering
1: all the things that are happening in the world at the moment, I'm doing all right. I'm currently working in isolation. They've shut down the college, so having to work from home. I'm trying to contact all my learners, making sure that they're all doing the work and making sure that they're all up and running on, on the college site with the maths and English and all that sort of stuff but yeah it's just a bit bizarre looking looking at the four walls all day while i'm working but other than that yeah i'm doing good how are you
0: i'm not so bad myself yeah you can probably tell from the audio and stuff we are speaking through the medium of beyonce's internet because of current events as we won't go into too much detail on that for the sake of giving people some kind of distraction from it but yeah i'm also working remotely Not a lot has changed in terms of my workload, but I'm a bit less comfortable and I've not got quite so many screens to work with, so it's much fiddlier doing my work. Yeah, yeah. Today we're going to debut an idea that I've had for quite a while now that I wanted to kick off. I guess current wrestling being a bit pants has given us the opportunity at last.
1: Pants is not a strong enough word, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's different at the moment. There's there's nothing we can do about it, but yeah, it's a good breakaway and I'm looking forward to our new idea and our new plans that we've got.
0: We're gonna kick off a sub-series for the podcast here. We're gonna call the Tape Trader Diaries. I first started thinking about this a few years ago and just trying to get a sense of giving newer fans the idea of this kind of permanence in wrestling nowadays everything's streamed everything's on the network and we've been hearing a few things at the moment about possibly other mediums being used for wrestlemania not just the wwe network and so it's brought that whole conversation back to the forefront really of wrestling existing not just as part of a streaming service and things like that and yeah, I just wanted to go and look back at those kind of days when you had to kind of record wrestling, you had to kind of preserve it and cherish it instead of just having access to it willy-nilly.
1: Yeah, we've kind of come up with a nice little list of stuff moving forward that we hold dear to our to our hearts.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, so every single show that we're going to look at as part of a series has been a videotape of wrestling that either we've recorded from the television to save her prosperity or that's been lent to us by a friend and we're going to kick it off with this episode where we're going to look at the first ever vhs i got lent by a friend it's wwf breakdown in your house so this was lent to me by our friend from primary school alex guffrey some point in 2000, I think it was, I've been a wrestling fan for less than a year, and there was still a fair bit of culture shock attached with it in terms of how the show looked, in terms of you know the stage being a lot smaller. This show in particular, wrestlers were kind of coming out in the round with a whole heap of the audience behind them in the stands, lots more stands open, and that look was kind of striking to me. It just felt a lot more visceral.
1: I quite like the idea that you sat on the performance, not mm. sat around the performance. That's the way it kind of came across to me, watching all these older pay-per-views and shows. Mm.
0: Yeah, it was quite neat. The video that Alex lent me, it was the Silver Vision home video release. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, that takes me back. I've just got it full force, the, the opening <laughs> sequence with the copyright thing and Austin being all, you TV guys always got the cameras where you don't belong. (laughs) And the other thing as well was the adverts for all of the older releases on the inside of the sleeve were for much older shows like Bad Blood 97 and even all the way back to King of the Ring 97. And that one was especially confusing and evocative because – they're advertising Stone Cold versus Shawn Michaels from that show, and they described it as a last-man-standing match, even though it was a regular match. Yeah, that's
1: a bit odd.
0: It was just another way of illustrating to me how much the WWF had changed in such a short period of time. We weren't all that far removed from it being the kind of day-glow technical of WWF. And then you got to Bad Blood, and it was a slightly more gothic, but still very kind of blocky and retro kind of wwf and then you got to this show and it is attitude full force in your face
1: i agree with that and i think we'll speak quite a bit about it in in this pay-per-view but we start to really see the sort of on the edge programming that'll start to make names for wwf
0: another thing that struck me was it felt like there were a lot more matches that didn't seem to have a storyline, or at least they didn't have an explanation for their storylines. And
1: That is one of my main
0: notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why are they fighting?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> this actually led me, when I gave Alex the tape back, I was like, do you know, those are some of the best pointless matches I've ever seen. <laughs> so, yes, we're right in the heart of the Attitude Era. This show is taking place... On September twenty seventh, nineteen ninety eight, from the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, seventeen thousand four hundred and five fans in attendance and three hundred and fifteen thousand two hundred and fifty six watching at home on pay per view.
1: A decent amount considering the the time that they're at.
0: Yes, yeah, a pretty good number, and Raw was preempted a lot because of the US Open. So they didn't necessarily have a great deal of momentum coming off SummerSlam. And Nitro had a few big wins because of that. Before we kick off with the main show, how about a little bit of Sunday Night Heat? I don't always
1: remember. Was it always in front of a pay-per-view? This always seemed quite bizarre to me. I was like, I don't remember this.
0: Yes, so Sunday Night Heat at this point in time was just in its infancy. It had only been knocking around for about a month. It was the basically flagship show of this whole block of programming that the USA Network had, including Femme Nikita and some weird police procedural show where the police people could only ride bicycles and not anything else. I didn't get it. Triple H was on it once. It was really weird. (laughs) Yeah. So when it was a pay-per-view evening, Sunday Night Heat kind of worked a little bit like the kickoff shows do nowadays on the WWE Network. And they try to kind of incite you to get you watching the pay-per-view later on, but also giving you some, you know, regular wrestling at the same time. The addition of Sunday Night Heat leading into this show actually got a 3.3 rating. Typically at the time, Raw would be somewhere between like four and a four and a half. Yeah. So for a debuting show on a slightly unusual time slot, it's not all that bad, really. Yeah, it either means, depending on which Nielsen rating it is, it either equates to like 3.2 million people or it means 3.3% of the television audience watching that night were watching that show. On this show, It started off with Vince McMahon announcing a triple threat cage match between The Rock, Mankind and Ken Shamrock because The Undertaker and Kane disrupted the original match that happened on Raw the prior week. And he also announced that if anyone interfered in favour of Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event tonight, then Austin would be stripped of the title. Pat Patterson's fucking ecstatic. he would be stripped of the title.
1: Them goons frustrate the hell out of me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goons. First match of the evening was Golga of the Oddities beating Mosh from the Headbangers in two minutes, two seconds. Golga is famous for another wrestling persona. Do you know who it is, Kyle?
1: I've cheated a little bit. I only know who it is because I searched it when I was watching the match and I was like, Ah, right. (laughs) But, I mean, just for podcast purposes,
0: no. It's none other than Earthquake.
1: Ah! (laughs) Strange seeing him uh, back in the the WWF ring, because he'd left... Was he WCW,
0: I think? Yes, he was for quite a while. Um, Kind of like midway through 1994, and I think he lasted all the way through to 1997. He was in various guises there. He was the Avalanche, and then he was the Shark, and then I think he was just by his regular name. But yeah, he'd been through the ringer a fair bit there.
1: You find that, don't you? Especially in these older pay-per-views. Like, you got your old-school character, didn't you, that was just out and about the odd match in a pay-per-view here or the odd role that he'd turn up on.
0: Hmm. Yeah, big, shouty, sweaty men are much missed from wrestling, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This match came about because the Headbangers turned heel on the previous Raw, and Golgot was obsessed with Cartman from South Park, and he'd have like a plush Eric Cartman teddy that he'd carry around with him. And the Headbangers ripped it up and beheaded it. And that's why they were having this match.
1: Oh, very nice of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jim Cornette at the tail end of this match caught word of a backstage attack going on, and then the match conveniently ended with Golga hitting the earthquake splash. Like, hmm, that's a fine old coincidence. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> the victim of the attack was none other than Ribble H. Somebody hit Nancy Kerrigan his knee backstage and they were actually promoting a Triple H and Mark Henry Intercontinental title
1: match for the pay-per-view. He had a legitimate knee injury, didn't he? So they they had to write him out. He literally just won the title, which was a shame.
0: Yeah, he won it at SummerSlam and I'm pretty sure that was when they were aware of the injury as well. So I'm like, why are you trying to con people into thinking this match is going to happen if you've known that long? Yeah. But in fairness, Triple H did actually wrestle on some of the Raws in between, which I didn't realise.
1: Right. It shows that he's hardcore, that's what
0: it is. Yeah, that's true, yes. (laughs) So that led to Mark Henry complaining about not having a match, which led to Vince McMahon booking him in a cage match with Stone Cold Steve Austin as the main event of the show. Just, you know, so he could check that the cage works and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. In an upset for the time, the Hardy Boys beat Funaki and Men's Teo of Kayentai in three minutes and 36 seconds with their simultaneous top rope leg drop and splash. This was ultra retro Hardys. They weren't even in their like skater trouser look. They were in the kind of knockoff rockers look.
1: <laughs> I always look back at the Hardys and think they just seem to have that connection in the matches that they were doing. I mean, there was a few moments in that match that were quite static, but you know, you can't take that away from them. They'd only been in the business for, for a
0: little while, but
1: yeah, it's it's always great to see like the old old Hardy boys.
0: Yeah. I got the impression this was their first big win on the roster and the way they were treating it. Stone Cold Steve Austin got the key to Hamilton and a street named after him. This is a bit random. In what connection does he have to Hamilton, Ontario?
1: It's very, very random. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it's very peculiar. What turned out to be the final match of Heat saw so the Disciples of Apocalypse beat Billy Gunn in a quasi-handicap match. It was designed to reflect the Stone Cold Steve Austin, Undertaker and Kane main event on the pay-per-view because the previous week on Raw, Billy Gunn offered to be Austin's tag partner and Xbox X-Pack and Xbox Xbox <laughs> <laughs> Same
1: colors to be fair.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> x pac and Road Dog were forbidden from interfering otherwise their six-man tag match on the pay-per-view <laughs> would be called off. DOA won the match with a flapjack.
1: <laughs> there is Some moves out there that is unwritten to be able to win a match with.
0: That is one of them. (laughs) I know, pretty ordinary. Everybody schmozzed after the fact. And then we hit the main event segment of the show. So Vince McMahon is in the cage, checking it all out, and he's harassing a ring attendant over his you know maintenance of the cage the ring attendant turns around takes his cap off takes his hair off and it's stone cold steve austin and he's locked in the cage with vince and he starts swatting vince
1: right when he takes his hat off that is the fakest of fake hair i have (laughs) ever seen in my whole life it's like a cartoon character's hair
0: (laughs) it's fooling nobody <laughs> Hilariously, the Undertaker and Kane were at ringside and they started climbing into the cage to prevent the attack. Austin scooched over to the door but couldn't figure out how to unlock the door, and Taker and Kane were just on top of the cage, stalling while Austin figured out what was going on. And then eventually, Austin started climbing the cage out instead. And then Undertaker and Kane were like, okay, we can go in the ring now.
1: I thought the Undertaker had fallen he was, like, jumping from the top, and he landed on the ropes. Landed straight. I was like, whoa. (laughs)
0: Well, he'd be a bit shaky on his feet because he'd injured himself doing that, you know, in the Summerslam match with Austin where he does the leg drop from the top rope onto the announce desk? Yeah. So he's got a bummed-out leg. So I did see him hobbling a bit on this show. Just to
1: pause there, Uh like, outside... I can hear lots of clapping, lots of horns. It's eight o'clock in the UK.
0: It's uh, NHS time, isn't it?
1: Yeah, just for any listeners that aren't in the UK, at eight o'clock, the UK just stops for the NHS staff. And it's incredible. It's very noisy out there. Sorry about that. I just, I could hear it.
0: On to the main show. And, oh, that old school WWF world leader attitude intro. Oh, it gives me chills. Yeah, very nice. We find out that Mr. McMahon has a master plan. He's damn sick and tired, sick and tired, I'm damn sick and tired of Stone Cold Steve Austin being the World Wrestling Federation champion. There's lots of clips of Austin and McMahon's feud and political figures and war footage and Vince calls Kane and Undertaker the single most destructive force ever in the World Wrestling Federation. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. He had to cajole it out of him, though. The Raw after SummerSlam, he comes out and he was like, well, Undertaker, you came out and you said you respected Stone Cold. Quite frankly, that's disappointing. You and Kane, well, you're nothing but a bunch of putrid pussies. (laughs) And so Perfect, Taker and right? Kane Perfect. went on a show-long rampage, choke slamming everybody. Like, every single match was interrupted by Undertaker and Kane.
1: Yeah, I, I vaguely remember this now.
0: Stridex presents WWF Breakdown in your house with an intro graphic straight out of an N64 racing game. <laughs>
1: the digital use on that was hilarious.
0: <laughs> We've Blocked out way.
1: tunnel. There's no way that they were driving down that tunnel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's depth perception, Kyle. It's it's, it's, it's an illusion. Uh, yeah, right, guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Lawler outlines the unique stipulation for the triple threat match tonight. Kane and The Undertaker can't pin each other. I did some maths behind this. I've got two degrees in maths, as it's my want to do. Technically, Vince McMahon screwed himself over a little bit here, because you see, in a regular triple threat match there's six possible scenarios the two where Austin could win would be he beats the Undertaker he beats Kane and there's four where Austin could lose so Kane could beat Austin or the Undertaker and the Undertaker could beat Kane or Austin so Austin's got a one in three chance of winning in a regular triple threat match with this stipulation that Vince McMahon has outlined by eliminating the possibility of Kane beating the Undertaker and vice versa that's two losing scenarios struck off for Austin. So he's actually back up to having the 50-50 chance of winning this match. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's a loophole there. Mm. Our opening contest, oh jackpot. It's Edge and he's facing the Black Heart, the Soul Survivor! He did it by himself! Woo! Owen Hart.
1: Nice to see you, Owen Hart. This is around the time where he was in spoiled brat mode with all the nugget chants.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it's surreal hearing him come out to the nation's music.
1: Yeah, very weird.
0: It's like the the beat to the Rocks theme song and it's all of Owen's rantings over the top. It's like, I try to be a nice guy. <laughs> Edge came through the crowd like he's in The Shield.
1: Yeah, love Edge. Love his entrances. All of his music was always
0: great. This would have been the first time I'd seen Owen Hart wrestle, actually. Before, Andy was just a a guy on a video game. And, yeah, this match did make an impression on me on the time. And we'll, we'll see how it goes here. JR says Owen was actually Rookie of the Year in 1986. And... Edge might be in with a chance of being Rookie of the Year in 1998. Mm-hmm. He also brings up Edge's mysterious relationship with Gangrel. We'll see how that pans out. All right, we get some great Shane wrestling to start and the big nugget chance, as you mentioned, Kyle. Edge lands on his feet from a monkey flip and drop kicks Owen and then does a nice rocker dropper into a hurricane hurricanrana. Then Owen regains control of the match catching Edge's dive off the apron with a power slam and starts working over his back. JR then tells us that Edge has yet to speak on camera which is probably a good thing given that first promo where the brew break their silence. Have you ever seen that, Kyle? <laughs> I have. <laughs> it is car crashing, not in a good way. I suggest that you beware. Take care because the freaks come out At night. Yeah, yeah. Nice belly-to-belly suplex by Owen, and then a victory roll out of the corner, a la Bret Hart at King of the Ring 93. Owen's getting annoyed that Edge isn't being put away, and heads up top, only for Edge to turn it into his electric chair flapjack. Then hit one of my favourite spots of the match, where Owen celebrates evading his second rope attack, he gives it, like, a little mini, woo! <laughs> and then he gets DDT'd by Edge. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> There's been a great fight over a waistlock that sees both men trade near falls, Edge with a Northern Light suplex, and Owen with a German. Then Owen looks for the sharpshooter but gets cradled for a two count. And then a stranger jumps for the barricade. Kyle, you think you know him? <laughs>
1: mm, he looks familiar. Who is this stranger with the long hair?
0: It's a debuting Christian, dressed like Gangrel. Mm. That distraction is enough for Owen to hit a reverse victory roll and roll up edge for the free count to win in 9 minutes, 16 seconds. And What were your impressions here, Kyle?
1: Nice opening match. A few back and forths, quite a few close falls. It was kind of just your, your nice and easy first match of a pay-per-view. It was it was nothing special, but it, I, I don't think it was a, a bad match. Debut of Christian was quite cool. Did they ever say that they were brothers? I vaguely remember. And then it turned out they were just bezies.
0: They were brothers for the longest time, yeah. Definitely while they were a tag team, they were brothers. And then in the breakup, they were brothers. And I think it was only really... Until you got to like the late two thousands, where they're like, you well, know, they're just friends.
1: They're so close as friends that they are brothers.
0: <laughs> yeah, they might as well be.
1: <laughs> there was one other thing in that the match that I felt was really strange. Is it's not often you get Waller at a loss for words. And I can't remember exactly what Jr. said to him, but he was halfway through a sentence and he was like. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and well, let's finish this match and we'll see what happens. Maybe it can happen tomorrow. And I was like, <laughs> he was completely like lost for words. He didn't know what to reply.
0: I believe that was because Jim Ross brought up Jim Carrey. Ah, right, okay. Man in the Moon was gonna come out. Probably be just finishing up filming at this point. JR asked him if he wanted to say anything to his friend Jim Carrey, and he's like, oh, Jim Carrey, won't you... Maybe I'll, I'll call him out
1: on Raw! It was very evident that he, he kind of lost where he was. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I thought this was really nice overall. It had lots of great sequences, and it's just this really interesting like intergenerational clash. If you didn't know about this match, you'd be like, What? Owen Hart and Edge wrestled each other? And then you also got the historical standpoint of Christian debuting in this match, and it's this is really striking timepiece to look towards. Yeah, I think the only thing that was kind of lacking about it was there was a couple of times where the crowd's attention drifted off a little bit, and it was a bit of a cheap finish. But you know, when you're debuting a, a new character, that always tends to happen.
1: Yeah, you sort of look past that, don't you? When there's when there's a debut, you kind of forget the finish anyway. Mm.
0: Backstage, Doc Hendricks and Sable pulled for superstar line and Sable quips, she hopes she's not too much for Doc to handle. You know, I'm speaking of which, our second match <laughs> is a tag team match. The combination of too sexy Brian Christopher and Scott Too Hot Taylor. Too much.
1: Their music was shit. <laughs> was absolutely awful. When it started playing, I'm like, Isn't Al Snow? What the hell? And then they came out and I was like, oh my word.
0: (laughs) Holy lower card WrestleMania 2000 on the N64, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, very much. They're taking on the combination of Al Snow and Scorpio, accompanied by Head. The previous Monday on Raw, Al Snow beat Sergeant Slaughter in a boot camp match to get reinstated as a WWF wrestler? Why wouldn't they put that much on the pay per view? Yeah, you'd think that, that was that was more important than the match we're about to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, there's a stipulation on the line, there's a career on the line, and you know, it's a it's a specialty match. There's another match that happens on that Raw where it gets me thinking, oh, maybe this pay per view is a bit topsy turvy. Yeah. Scorpio saved Al from an attack by the Stooges, and hence the reason they're teaming up tonight. Jim Ross actually brings up Al's previous incarnations as Avatar and Leaf Cassidy, and even name drops ECW, which leads to Lawler calling them extremely crappy wrestlers. I
1: noticed that straight away.
0: One of the shows that I saw, Al Snow did a sit-down interview with JR, kind of like the old Mankind ones. Yeah. And they showed footage of Al in ECW, because Al, when he was in ECW, he was actually there as a WWF contracted guy. They were paying Paul Heyman a, a little bit of money to basically take on wrestlers that needed a little bit of polishing before they appear on WWF TV again. Well, that's interesting.
1: I've got a an Al Snow fact that while I was watching this, I I like to, you know, go back and see like what they're up to now or what they were doing previous to the pay per view. Apparently, Al Snow now owns OVW. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that until until my research.
0: It's a kind of logical place for him to end up really with his whole, you know, his experience with Tough Enough and really having a, like a verve for educating people and training them to wrestle.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Unquestionably, Head is the most over thing in this match. (laughs) Which we'll get get to in more detail later. Yeah. There's some really similar Arm Ringer escapes to the first match. Which is a bit weird, and a a roundhouse back kick by Scorpio, and a pump handle suplex that allows Scott Taylor to moonwalk over and tag in Brian. Brian then laughed like a hyena, which causes Jr. to inquire to Lawler, "Did he laugh like that as a baby?" (laughs) King retorts, "How should I know?"
1: Yeah, good one. Good blurring the lines there.
0: Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Brian Christopher is actually real name Brian Lawler and was Jerry Lawler's son. And they'd play it up on television all the time and fans would even chant Jerry's kid at him. Oh, I miss this move. The arm trap headbutts that Al Snow used to do. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Al gets a chair and jumps off it to do a poetry in motion behind the ref's back. And then Scorpio tries to do the same, but slips on the chair.
1: Yeah, fails miserably.
0: Yeah, but still, Taylor winds up landing face-first on Brian's balls. And again, JR's jabbing King all the time. Better go check on your son, King <laughs> King retorts. "House knows no kin of mine. There's <laughs> been a big splash off the top rope by Scorpio, but he lifted Taylor's shoulder up off the cover. And meanwhile, Al Snow moonsaults Brian from the barricade. Brian prevents another top rope move by Scorpio, suplexes him on the floor, and then Taylor messes up a springboard to the outside. It just kind of looked like nothing.
1: Yeah, there was quite a a waste of moves in this match that that all just seemed like a bit of nothing.
0: Mm. It's then a weird double backdrop where Scorpio kind of landed on his stomach and then... They repeat what they were meant to do immediately after. He was supposed to flip out of it, so they just do it again. Al Snow tags in and hits everybody with head, even his own partner, which causes JR to quip, boy, this crowd likes head. There's
1: another favourite of mine coming up, so JR quips.
0: Oh, yeah. Brian Christopher's late breaking up the cover with the hip-hop drop, and so the referee just stops counting. That was a very noticeable botch. And then immediately after, he does the same thing for Scorpio breaking up a cover. Eventually, Al gets the snowplough on Taylor to finish the match in eight minutes and three seconds. So Al, Snow and Scorpio win in a bit of a mess, really. Really started to fall apart down the stretch and there was a lot of failed double teams in that.
1: Yeah, it was kind of all over the place. Wasted moves, some stuff not exactly making sense, but all was forgotten when Al Snow stood on the turnbuckle and J.R. quips, is head legal in Canada?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Incredible.
0: It's surprisingly puritanical the Canadians. <laughs> they might not want a, a mannequin head over their border.
1: So, yeah, always forgotten after hearing
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Backstage, Michael Cole interviews the Brothers of Destruction and asks them, which one of you is actually going to pin Austin tonight? Taker says it's none of his business and him and his brother have an understanding. Tonight will be the destruction of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Our third match of the evening sees marvellous Mark Merrow Accompanied by the new World Wrestling Federation Women's Champion, Jacqueline, taking on Droz. Yeah.
1: Mr. Droznan? Drozdian?
0: Droznot, I think.
1: Drozdov.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. This is a bit of a weird place. He's got a gimmick of of his own, but he's substituting for Hawk in the Legion of Doom, too?
1: Yeah. He goes by Droz, and then in the Legion of Doom, he goes by Puke. Oh, are you
0: serious?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's like, he goes by the name Puke as like their unofficial third member. Oh, God. But on his own, he's just Droz. I mean, that whole thing sounds like Droz, to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah. Can you do
1: that, huh? You going to get sick? That's a Huh? Oh. <laughs> Huh? Oh my god, he's he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna puke!
0: He's gonna puke! He's gonna puke! He's gonna, yeah, he's gonna gonna puke! Oh, Oh, man. I don't know why this match is happening, but it just is. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Mero rakes his eyes over the top rope, hits a knee lift, and then lets Jackie get a cheap shot in behind the ref's back. Fucking hell. Miro nearly killed Droz. Nearly kicked his M- head off doing that total yeah. yeah. What the hell? That is, that is not how wrestling physics should work. There's <laughs> then a pretty dangerous back elbow by Droz. He just kind of like flails his body backwards at Miro. He could have landed anywhere. Yeah. Jackie put Miro's foot on the rope after a power slam. And then Miro chokes Draws with his wrist tape. And then, with the ref distracted, Jackie comes off the top rope and attacks Draws with a high heel. That move with the high heel
1: is just ridiculous. Anytime anyone uses a shoe as a weapon, it just. My mind explodes as to how much damage that actually does to somebody.
0: Hey, Arn Anderson pinned Hulk Hogan after a high heel attack. Don't go dissing those high heels now, (laughs) Kyle. Yes, yes, I apologise. That leads to Mark hitting the Marvelocity to get the free count, better known as the Shooting Star Press. Miro wins after five minutes and 12 seconds. Do you know what the Marvelocity was called back when Mark Miro was Wildman Mark Miro? Go on. The wild thing.
1: Of course it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think to this, Kyle?
1: I mean, for a pointless match, it started pointlessly. It ended pointlessly. It couldn't be deleted from this pay-per-view match. <laughs>
0: <laughs> P- pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Just pretty sloppy wrestling, and I didn't understand why it needed to happen yeah very odd we're three matches into a nine match card so it's first trimester question time so I mentioned at the start of the show how big a culture shock this was to me going back and seeing how the WWF used to be compared to what I was used to in 2000 what's one of the biggest culture shocks for you going back and watching old wrestling
1: what the wrestlers used to wear and they thought they looked cool
0: <laughs>
1: Big pants, baggy shirts. some Sun- sunglasses that were like just rectangles held together with wire. It just that was the, the shock for me. I was a bit like, Oh wow, this used to be a thing.
0: <laughs> what well, Becky Lynx tried to get away with that the other month. She had them like deal with it sunglasses. She got a lot of stick for that. I'd hope so, yeah, because I I saw some people being like, yeah, look how cool Becky is, and like, you're being facetious, right?
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, the the hair especially. I saw an old show the other day from when Mike Kyoto started out as a referee, and the mullet on that man, my God. so yeah I'm kind of similar to you Kyle like the stylings of some of the wrestlers but especially hair oh my
1: yeah I think think we'll label this under fashion
0: (laughs) turn it (laughs) off oh speaking of fashion we get an advert for DX's down where down there t-shirt
1: anything that DX does is absolute gold and I will highly
0: promote it speaking of hair by the way the, the other thing that unnerved me triple h with dry hair in this time period looks so weird
1: very much so yes it does
0: <laughs> so like fluffy and
1: it's like a newborn child.
0: <laughs> yeah much more menacing where he started <laughs> wasting a whole bottle of water on his face yeah <laughs> Onto our fourth match. It's a 1-4 to a finish, anything goes match between the man they call Vader and Bradshaw. These two men kind of tried to start a tag team and they teamed up on the edition of Sunday Night Heat before SummerSlam, got into a bit of miscommunication and so they've been feuding ever since.
1: Yeah, because this is another one that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit where you kind of didn't know why or or what was the reasons for the rivalry. And it's, it's kind of Bradshaw's last little outing, isn't it, before he turns full acolyte?
0: Yeah, kind of a little mini push for Bradshaw here. He was a finalist in the Brawl for All tournament, and just trying to sell him as this big, tough bastard. So pairing him up with... a Another reputable tough bastard. Bradshaw actually gets interviewed by Michael Cole before the match, and he says that the match won't be pretty. I didn't come to wrestle that fat bastard. I came to fight him. It's survival of the fittest, not fattest. And that cues Jr. to go into Sad Panda. Well, we apologize folks. I'm so sorry about that. As if he wasn't feeding Bradshaw those lines. He got on every wrestler's back about their weight
1: yeah it was definitely uh a shock thing for me going back watching it and i'm like oh god bradshaw's doing a a promo this is weird i was like you fat bastard oh my
0: god (laughs) this match is naturally stiff as hell
1: stiffest of the stiff
0: (laughs) stiff lariat by vader it's followed up by an elbow to the crotch which causes JR to quip I don't want Vader between my legs I can tell you that yeah <laughs> it's vitally important that we knew that Jim yeah we kind of figured but you know the commentators spend the whole match basically shitting themselves at the prospect of the two of them fighting at their desk <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't want these two to come over here no sir Bradshaw hit Vader with a ring bell, then accidentally punched the ring post and got sent into the steel steps. Big side suplex by Bradshaw, but then he gets low bridged back outside. And it's at this point we find out, oh, pinfalls count anywhere too, because Vader tries to pin him on the floor.
1: I think they just, at times, forget even what match that they're actually doing.
0: mm. We get a big second rope splash by Vader, which is followed up by the Vader bomb, but Bradshaw kicked out. He comes back with the clothesline from hell, but Vader kicked out. He then follows up with a second one and a cool hangman's net breaker that would have been one of my finishes as a wrestler. And that gets him the win in seven minutes and 56 seconds. How about this then, Kyle?
1: Okay, so first off, this has got to be by far the shittest falls count anywhere match I've ever watched. <laughs> I don't know whether it's because I'm used to falls count anywhere matches where they like just think that they're gonna kill the other person, but it was very tame for what I'm used to as a falls count anywhere match.
0: Yeah, I think. Like in terms of their interactions together, of course they were pretty stiff with the strikes and stuff, and you know it, it wasn't an especially nuanced match, but. I'm with you here. I was really let down by this match. They didn't make all that much use of the stipulation. It just kind of existed. This kind of seemed to be a trend for Vader in 1998. You know, he's just trying to keep his head down and he's got this reputation for being stiff and Shawn Michaels was pissed off at him and stuff. And so he's just trying to keep his head down and lose weight because JR's bothering him about it. And then they go and put him in a match with another stiff bastard and he has to be like get beaten the crap out of again and yeah vader is such a a blown prospect in the wwf yeah again this would have been my first time seeing vader wrestle and the one thing i remember when he's going up to the corner to do his vader bomb jr's like could we see a vader bomb or perhaps the biggest moonsault in captivity. I'm like, <laughs> Vader can do a moonsault? What?
1: Yeah, like, what? you've really set him up here. We want to see this moonsault now.
0: <laughs> I know, yeah. And then we didn't get it. I'm like, oh. It's so disappointing for me because, of course, at the time, I couldn't go and track down Vader doing a moonsault. I just had to live with this non-existent potential. Yeah. We then see Kevin Kelly, Dr. Tom Prichard, and Jason Sensation at the WWF.com desk backstage. And Jason does his bunch of impressions. He does an impression of The Rock, the New Age Outlaws, Jeff Jarrett, and then closes with an Undertaker impression. And they were all pretty good.
1: Yeah, I was pretty impressed with them. His Undertaker one where he gets hold of his eyelids and turns them inside out. Oh, that's a bit gruesome. (laughs) Like, put his thumbs into his eyelids to keep them.
0: Really yeah. If, if you're having to do that, like, if you reach that point to try and put over the, the the poles, then just just, just don't stop. bother, me. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like him, it's enough. On to our fifth match of the evening. The former European champion, D'Lo Brown, is squaring off against Gangrel. D'Lo Heard lost the title to X-Pac the previous Monday on Raw again put that match on the show yeah i have no idea why d lo and Gangrel are fighting but d lo and x Pac, you know nation and dx have been at it for ages all over the summer that would have been a really good pay-per-view match yeah
1: very strange
0: so d lo only having just lots <laughs> of title he's still wearing his tights that say he's the european champion
1: You never know, character-wise, in his head, he might still be the European champion.
0: He's still wearing his chest protector from a vague sort of pectoral injury, and he's doing the kind of cowboy Bob Orton gimmick where he doesn't need it anymore, but he just keeps it on for heat.
1: The equivalent of Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy no longer needs his wrist support, but he keeps that on.
0: Oh, right. And
1: And it's now blue.
0: Well, he just, just wants the colour the coordinate. Kit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's now a fashion item. So I see where d coming from.
0: <laughs> well, um, Jamie Vardy can't be a bigger heel than Rebecca Vardy after that epic...
1: Well, <laughs> that's you a me? very, very good point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sadly, because there's no ramp on this show, Gangrel can't appear from up underneath the ground like he normally does. Yeah. <laughs> JR talks about him... Allegedly living a gothic-type lifestyle.
1: Well, I should hope that he
0: does. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of like a couple of years after when standards and practices really got to WCW. They weren't allowed to say blood when it was implied that blood was being used, kind of like the brewed bloodbaths. And so they were just like, oh, it's the red viscous liquid! This is kind of like that, Trying to allude to Gangrel being a vampire without calling him a vampire. Yeah. Probably because they don't have permission from White Wolf to actually call him a vampire or something. That's
1: very true. I always remember the um, original WWF Smackdown game. It was like this unlockable cutscene that you could only get if you did some certain path that you went down and gangrel had beat you up and like cover you in blood and i only ever got that once and i've searched the internet like how to do it again and been unsuccessful but yeah that's always been my thing with the blood thing i've loved it and in that video game i was like oh my god i've been attacked by gangrel
0: yeah oh that sounds cool
1: yeah i'm gonna try and find it and then i'll post it on the twitter
0: that's a lovely little easter egg. Back when wrestling games actually worked. Yeah. Gangrel starts off with a big spinning elbow and follows it up with a good double arm belly to belly suplex. Delo fires back with a nice leg lariat and George Axe to the fans. Oh, you better recognise. You better recognise Delo's awesome. Yeah. He hit a running powerbomb and it got a really big pop from the crowd. Delo boxed a weird DDT attempt out of the corner and then hits this funky looking like Olympic slam kind of takedown. Yeah, really odd. I couldn't follow what he was doing with his arms. It just kind of like seemed to swish around really weird and like, how did you do that? Out comes Mark Henry. Commentary start talking about how he claims China's his girlfriend. Yeah, which I guess is why him and Triple H were supposed to fight. There's a weird top rope attack by Gangrel that gets a near fall, but then he gets low bridged to the outside by Henry, slammed into the ring post and sent back inside for Delo to hit the lowdown and get the victory after seven minutes and forty six seconds in a you know, relatively solid match in terms of Delo's offense. But apart from a couple of moves, Gangrel just was really lacking in this match. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, it's a strange
1: match, really. For me, I, it was kind of like, who can slam the most? D'Lo Brown goes on the offensive. It's a slam. Gangrel goes on the offensive. It's a slam. What can we both do? Ah, we'll Irish whip each other. Ah, we'll go back into a slam. And it, it was only really until Mark when Mark Henry came in that it was like, oh, right, okay, something's going to happen now because Mark Henry was coming out.
0: hmm Something happened after the match as well as Gangrel spit the mist into Mark Henry and then suplexes D'Lo off a top rope and hits the Impaler to try and get his heat back, even though he was beaten pretty resoundingly.
1: He had the power to get back
0: up. (laughs) You mean his his regenerative abilities? That's it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There must have been much garlic in the arena that evening. No. The Triple Threat Cage match is next, so we see clips of the original match I tried on Raw the other week that The Undertaker and Kane interrupted. It's really surreal hearing Jim Connor and Shane McMahon on commentary together for that. Very odd. Shane's, like, the worst combination of his dad's announcing and trying to come off as of a super cool, like, yeah, what's up? Yeah, it's my boy's DX. Whoa, yeah. What oh, the cool power slam. And then get a series of backstage interviews. So Cole interviews Shamrock, who'll go as far as it takes because he wants a title. And then he starts listing his opponents, but realises too late that he ran out of them. So he's like, The Rock! Mankind! You guys are going down! (laughs)
1: Oh, God. Promo
0: 101. (laughs) know your opponents and if you Ken shamrock shut your mouth <laughs> yeah doc hendrix was with the rock and rock says if his opponents don't have too much sugar in their testes come and find him in the middle of the ring and they'll make him famous <laughs> he'll climb the cage inch by inch by damn inch and he'll forever be the people's champion kevin mm-hmm. kelly then points out to mankind shamrock's looking for blood rock's looking for glory What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for an end to world hunger, but I don't really expect that to happen during this match. He sees stupidity everywhere, whether it's a dude pissing on an electric fence or the president getting involved with a high school reject. But categorically, the stupidest thing he's ever seen is the people's elbow, and he will not lay down for that move. Sugar-coated testes! Is that a new breakfast cereal? I think Mick had the better of that promo exchange for me. Yeah, 100%. It leads us towards our sixth match of the show. So triple threat steel cage match. The winner being the number one contender for the WWF title. It's Ken Shamrock facing Mankind and The Rock. You can win the match by pinfall submission or escaping the cage mankind tried to sneak out while the rock and ken shamrock brawled but then he got caught i should point out as well this is the old blue cage and i'd never seen a match with the old blue cage until this show i'm like whoa that's strange yeah that's a very good point actually i don't think i have either But it's like the cage doesn't look like that in the video games what is going on (laughs) Ken had an abdominal stretch on Mankind and then The Rock came in to abdominal stretch Ken at the same time. It's a human centipede of abdominal stretches. Did you notice as well Mankind's still wearing a dude love shirt? Yeah, I noticed that. It can do whatever he wants. (laughs) Sure. Have you ever heard him talk about why he started wearing the office shirt? No. That rendition of Mankind came after he'd sold out to Vince McMahon's dude love, so he kept it as like a a leftover from his corporate past. Ah, that's quite cool. Mm. Rock and Mankind start double teaming Shamrock, and I'm like, oh my god, it's the Rock and Slot connection a year early.
1: Nice fast forward for us knowing what's
0: coming. Yes. Rock and Ken then end up double-teaming Mankind. Then Rock breaking up the ankle lock leads to him getting double-teamed by his opponents, and he eats a double backdrop and a double suplex, but then fights back with a pair of DDTs, including his awesome float-over one on Ken. Very nice, yeah. Love that move. We then get the double people's elbow. Incredible. Absolutely loved it. He climbs the cage but gets caught and crouched on the top rope only to hit the rock bottom of Mankind but Ken save the fall and then hit a belly to belly suplex and put the ankle lock on the rock. Mankind saves the rock and climbs up. Mankind still kind of lingers around the top of the cage and ends up attempting an elbow drop from the top but Jesus wet, <laughs> missed and Mick just hit the canvas. That looked painful. Very painful. Rocks busted open as well.
1: Yeah, I noticed that when Mankind jumped off the turnbuckle, Rock wasn't busted open. The next time the camera went to it, he was busted open. I smell a blade.
0: (laughs) The people's blade. (laughs) Ken, cross the door grabs a conveniently placed chair that wasn't there earlier for any of the other crawl attempts.
1: Yeah, that was very weird.
0: <laughs> he then gets double arm DDT'd by Mankind and hit right smack in the head with the chair. So Mankind starts climbing up but Jim Ross is like, go out the door, Mick! It ends up costing him because just as Mankind gets to the top Rock covers Ken and gets the free count. So The Rock's the new number one contender after 18 minutes and 49 seconds. What do you make to this, Kyle?
1: I really enjoyed this match. I don't know why I hadn't seen this match before. It was really good. I enjoyed the match all the way through. I I quite liked Mankind's quick escape at the beginning. (laughs) Like, oh, if you lot are going to fight, I'm going to just win this. That made me chuckle. Yeah, I really enjoyed the finish. I thought it was
0: different i thought it was a little cheap like i'd expect a little something more to keep shamrock down
1: i mean to be fair that that shot was pretty horrific
0: (laughs) no it was very really loud yeah i think yeah this was just before we kind of got desensitized to chair shots this only really picked up for me after rock got ganged up upon there was a few things like the chain of abdominal stretches but it's mostly kind of like nothing brawling until that point but yeah that, that, that portion when the rock makes his come back onwards is really enjoyable god damn it Mick Foley just putting his body on the line all the time it makes you cringe a little bit but it's this really weird spectacle that you're like wow you must really love us to try that stuff
1: He's always been for the fans and not himself, hasn't he? Which, towards the end of his career, kind of backfired slightly.
0: It's really strange how a man who is such a notorious cheapskate fiscally is so giving and so generous in terms of what he does with his body and like what he wants to do to entertain people. Yeah, We're now two thirds of the way through the show. So, it's time for Sign Watch. Right, stop bang in the middle of the Attitude Era. Of course, there's loads and loads of signs. Were there any that stood out for you, Kyle?
1: I saw an Austin 666 one.
0: Ah, yes.
1: From his, his promo. But it was... They'd done it as a 316, so it was 666. Ah. Oh. <laughs> there was a Shamrock one. I can't remember. It was like a picture of Shamrock and it said something like I love me some Shamrock or something like that. Oh, right. It was just it was just before the I think it's Vader Bradshaw match. You can see like the outline of the Shamrock and it, it says something to do with loving Shamrock anyway. Right. But yeah, they're the only two. I to be honest, when I'm watching, I forget to watch for the signs. Cause I'm more interested in watching like the entrances and and stuff like that. But, yeah, they're the only
0: two that I, I picked up. Oh, we, we've had a plethora on this show. Get ready. Oh, wow. There's a dude in the front row with a sign saying, put your sign down, I can't see. Love it. We also had a we copy WWF with the WCW capitalised and underlined. Oh, yes, yeah. Call police. Not call the police, just call police. <laughs> in reference to what we were talking about in the opening match, Carrie fears Lawler. Fair enough. <laughs> there was this one sign for Edge where the E's were, like these weird, like, triangle things that were really filled out. And I swear to God, when WrestleMania is in Toronto, Like four years later, that exact same sign is in the crowd for that show too. Really? Yeah, it's like someone couldn't have saved their sign like four years to cheer for Edge at WrestleMania, could they?
1: I mean, I've seen Stranger Things.
0: It's a very good show, yeah. Mm. (laughs) Conflicting signs about Nuggets here. Owen's not a nugget. You are. And then there was another one that read, I love nuggets.
1: If only the Mandalorian had come out around that time, there'd be loads of baby Yodas asking for their nuggies.
0: Oh, okay. But does he talk, the, the child?
1: The child's not got a name yet. It's still baby Yoda. Uh. But yeah, there's so many memes of of him... <laughs> Waiting for his nuggies.
0: <laughs> there was a literal big sign. It just said big sign. It was about the size of a person.
1: <laughs> Walking in with that like, yeah, we got this, guys. We got this one.
0: <laughs> this is probably in reference to Shane McMahon's commentary that we were talking about earlier. Vince, please fire Shane. <laughs> we also had a D-Lo versus Gangrel who cares sign. So I think uh, some of the live audience were also confused about why people were wrestling too.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It's very evident.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We lay the smack down on ourselves.
1: I mean, you know, take that however you want.
0: (laughs) It's an odd thing to want to talk about in public, but nevertheless. Yeah. <laughs> WWF stole my kick-ass sign. I mean, they've got a
1: history of doing this.
0: They do. But I, I love the idea that they leave them with a crappy sign. It's like, yeah, sure, you take that one in. But this one, oh, no, no, no. This is too good for TV, this. <laughs> of course, there were loads and loads of insert name, 316 signs. Yeah. But the best play on that was Valvenus, 316 inches. Brilliant. Ken Shamrock is going absolutely ballistic in the ring, all while JR and King try to hike the next match. It's Valvenus versus Dustin Reynolds. No, Valvenus versus Dustin Reynolds. What no, Dustin Runnels.
1: <laughs> Keep going. Keep going.
0: <laughs> Dustin was mm. doing this preacher gimmick, think I'm not oh, you cop out. now. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but Dustin was doing this preacher gimmick, and so he naturally took exception to the adult film star Val Venus. That led to Val making a feature presentation with Dustin's wife, Terry. WWF
1: and, well, okay, WWE as well, and Vince McMahon are very, very famous for blurring the lines between real life and what's going on and what's happening in storyline. And I'm pretty sure around this time, hadn't Dustin and Terry just got divorced
0: Potentially, yeah. It must have happened at some point during them still I mean, being in the WWF together, yeah.
1: Yeah, it begs the question of like, how awkward and weird must that be?
0: Oh, I know. Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth got married on screen pretty much at the point when their relationship was actually ending. Oof. Yeah, wrestling has this history of being pretty awkward. Yeah. At least the vowel quipping. I guess getting down on your knees runs in the family. She's not genetic family. She married into the family. You yeah. can't run in the family if you're not blood related, surely. Very odd. I
1: did feel so sorry when it when the camera changed to Dustin and he was on commentary and he was like,
0: oh um oh. <laughs> Oh man Well that leads to my question. Who's supposed to be the good guy in this match? Yeah. You got Dustin, this puritanical prude, basically, and Valvinus, who was kind of face ish at the start of this, and then he goes and does this extramarital stuff and during this match is pretty unlikable as we'll get into. Yeah. So it's our seventh match of the pay-per-view. Dustin Runnels taking on Val Venus. So Dustin's already in the ring and introduced after the video package. No music, no entrance, no anything. As Val comes out to ringside, he reveals that Terry is accompanying him out. JR, of course, starts talking about how, oh, she's such a Jezebel.
1: And this is where I'm sure that it's Jerry Lawler. I may be wrong, it could be JR, but I don't... This isn't a JR line. Val Venus gets more tail than a toilet seat. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) There is a line from JR coming up, though. Don't you worry. Okay. (laughs) Val tried to jump Dustin at the start while he was praying, but gets face-planted and powerbombed really, really early. Val got the advantage with a whiffy-looking back elbow and a clothesline on the outside that Dustin couldn't quite do a 360 bump for. Get a Russian leg sweep from Val, and that allows him to gyrate, and Terry copies him on the outside, which leads to JR talking about how, you know, she distracts me, and I'm not even married to her. She's hanging everywhere, for goodness sake. So weird. Oh, God. DDT by Dustin and Val bumped beautifully for it. Just like... Mwah! Yeah, very nice. Oh, fuck. Really awkward spot here. Val just gives up on a superplex and dumps Dustin headfirst into the apron from the top rope. Yeah, nasty. Dustin tried to come back with a neat-looking bulldog but gets power slammed and that seemed to, like, knock him out. Yeah, it was a bit... Old. And that leads to King talking about, ha He's limp! Val's not used to that! <laughs> anyway, Val eventually decides it's safe enough to hit the money shot, and that gets him the free count after nine minutes and nine seconds in a match filled with serviceable action, but a totally unlikable storyline where you couldn't get invested in either of these guys.
1: No, and it's one of those where this could also go down as a match that we didn't need to see. There was nothing that I enjoyed about it, I'll be totally honest. It is what it was. I think JR and Jerry Lawler with their little quips every now and again was kind of the highlight.
0: It's strange. Like This is one of the few matches on this show that had a video package explaining all the feud, but then you go into the details of the feud and... The video package, at least, it didn't really get across the feud that well. And No. In terms of, like, who's likable in this, really? I don't think I want to know more about this rivalry.
1: No, I think from what was shown, like, if if we're just watching it from a pay-per-view point of view, and what was shown in the package, I'd be more on Dustin's side.
0: Yeah, for sure, yeah. He looked just so heartbroken.
1: Yeah. All right. He caused this to try and because he wanted to censor Val, but I, I feel Val went a little step too far.
0: <laughs> this started out much more innocently. So I went back and watched some of the old raws, and Dustin was walking through the crowd with a sign saying "He is coming." You're expected to think is referring to God and like some kind of like Judgment Day event or something. <laughs> yeah. And it was during Valvenus' Val match. So the next week on Raw, Valvenus is in the crowd during a dusting match with a sign saying, I have come. <laughs> Again, kind of like the smack yourself down sign. I'm sure you want to share that with the public, really. Wow. Do you know who that he was actually referring to in all of dusting signs, Kyle? I don't. Was Gold Dust. Ah! So eventually, Dustin would be so distraught at this storyline that it would like reawaken Gold Dust in him, and that kind of turned Dustin face again, and yeah, that kind of took the few forward after ah, this match. All right. Next up, we have a six-man tag team match that leads to. Jim Ross talking about how Jeff Jarrett got his hair cut at SummerSlam. lost the hair versus hair match. And they show clips of Jarrett attacking the Road Dogg's throat with the guitar handle two weeks ago on Raw. So it's a nice touch because Roadie's throat's knackered. He can't do the, oh, you didn't know for the entrance. Yeah. So it's our eighth match of the evening. Six-man tag team action with Jeff Jarrett and Southern Justice the tag combination of Mark Canterbury and Dennis Knight, taking on D-Generation X, the European champion X-Pac, and the tag team champions, Billy Gunn and Road Dog for New Age Outlaws. DX is swimming in gold here. Yeah, very much so. Since Triple H is still the Intercontinental Champion too. For those of you who aren't aware, Southern Justice are a repackaged version of the Godwins and one half of Southern Justice would go on to become a slightly more famous character in wrestling. Dun,
1: dun, dun. Any ideas? Off the top
0: of my head, I'm trying to think. Go on. Dennis Knight would, in early 1999, be abducted by The Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness and become Midian
1: course he would yes mm. now the face fits i don't recognize him with that green squirrel on his forehead
0: or with that many clothes on
1: well yeah with that many clothes on him yeah. good point
0: <laughs> we get a little facade from dx here where x Pac is all joking and jiving in the ramp and then the outlaws come from over the guardrail to attack from behind there's a nice drop kick by Jarrett, but his second attempt at that is caught and turned into a power bomb by X-Pac. Another really early power bomb in the match. Yeah. Rodog hits the Shake Rattle and knee drop, but then he gets isolated by Southern Justice, and his Shake Rattle and Roll punches are interrupted by a really good clothesline by Canterbury. Jarrett and Rodog then knock heads in the corner that allows X-Pac to tag in again and hit a really cool spinning heel kick. But his second attempt at that move gets turned into a powerbomb by Canterbury. There's then a decent stalling suplex by Knight and an unusual version of a wheelbarrow slam by Canterbury which allows Jarrett to hook in the, whoa, I got him! Sleeper hold. Pack escapes, hooks his own sleeper hold, lands on his feet from a suplex counter and hits his own suplex. JR with both men down, talks about how you know, you don't want this match to end by count-out. That's an old sister-kissing thing. That is odd. JR really didn't want to kiss his sister, but kind of possibly really did from the amount of times he brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to kiss my sister, no siree. <laughs> no siree. Billy Gunn gets the hot tag and military presses Jarrett. X-Pac then hits the Bronco Buster, but he eats a sweet clothesline from Canterbury. Billy then steals Jeff's guitar, but gets caught by the ref, which allows Jarrett to hit X-Pac with the guitar. And then out of nowhere, Billy hits the Fameasser and wins the match. After 11 minutes and 17 seconds, DX come out on top, even though X-Pac looks injured from his eye, from the guitar shot.
1: Yeah, that guitar shot looked quite brutal.
0: Mm. This is really the infancy for this guitar gimmick for Jarrett. He kind of redesigned himself after the haircut in SummerSlam and he started his all, don't piss me off thing. Yeah. He incidentally got paired up with that guitar as a reference to his earlier gimmick as a country singer in the WWF. Hmm. What do you think of the match, Kyle? It was okay. Nothing special. I'm not
1: really a fan of Jack, Jeff Jarrett, if I'm totally honest. No? No. I, and I, I just think that this rivalry is a bit, it was kind of like a, a bit of a blockade rivalry, wasn't it? You know, it wasn't, they weren't building to anything. It was just kind of, it was there while they were moving on to, to other things. So I think because there's no payoff from it, it kind of felt flat for me.
0: Yeah, the peak of this was really the haircut match at SummerSlam and this is just kind of like Fred's lingering over. So yeah. I, I get where you're coming from there. And like I was saying earlier, it seemed as if D'Lo and X Pac were the future pair to draw to. So I don't know why that wasn't on the pay per view. Yeah. Overall this was pretty entertaining really, rock solid stuff. Even if the finish came out of nowhere. I really liked X-Pac and Jarrett's work together. But for me, the big surprise package of this match was Mark Canterbury. I've never seen him wrestle before this match. And going back and looking at this, he was so good. I find it weird how it was Midian who went on and had a bit more longevity.
1: Very strange.
0: I was also kind of confused because... At the time I got lent this VHS, Jarrett was in WCW and he was hanging around with the Harris twins all the time. And I didn't know who Southern justice was. So I figured, Oh, they must just be the Harris twins. Oh, wow. They, they used to have a lot more hair. Yeah. The, the Harris twins were actually the disciples of the apocalypse that wrestled earlier on heat. So that's kind of a a bit of a, a Mandela effect I gave myself after watching that tape. Yeah. Okay, so it's time for the main event. We get lots of clips of Undertaker and Kane devastating everyone and then being announced as number one contenders. However, they're both prohibited, pro-prohibited from beating each other. Austin leveled Vince with a right hand but got double choke slammed by Taker and Kane and that allowed Vince to mock Stone Cold Steve Austin's taunts. <laughs> yeah. That head thing where he gets down on his knees and like yaks at him—it's—it just kind of looks like a dog trying to finish his dinner too quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got that taunt. I really got a big kick out of this video package for Austin calling the Undertaker, "Look, you big dead bastard!" <laughs> oh, just to reiterate, Vince McMahon. It's damn sick and tired, sick and damn sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of Austin being champion. Like you mentioned when we were talking about science, Kyle, Austin warned Vince he isn't going to get Austin 316 at the pay-per-view. You're going to get Austin 666.
1: That's exactly where, <laughs> where it's all heading to.
0: Yes, we're past the highway to hell now and... Onto a, a new living hell for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Really impossible looking odds here. Yeah. It's our main event. The World Wrestling Federation title is on the line with Stone Cold Steve Austin defending against The Undertaker and Kane in a glorified handicap match. They replay the whole thing with the cage from earlier on. Heat. And I was really disappointed that Kane didn't have his pyro coming out until he got to the corners. Yeah, they kind of left that a bit late. Mm. Undertaker comes out to the best version of his theme song. Yes. Very eerily good. Ah, but it gets interrupted because Stone Cold attacked him from behind with a chair. He then gets Kane knocked down too. And Kane then missed his flying clothesline, which allowed Austin to hit a rough rider. Only he gets sent out over the top rope just in time for The Undertaker to start beating him up. He sends The Undertaker into the ring steps and there's a fan at ringside. Did you hear him? They asked, are you okay, Undertaker? No, I didn't didn't hear that. (laughs) It's just like, why are you showing this empathy for... He's dead, he's fine. (laughs) Austin drives Kane's balls into the ring post. Hits the Stone Cold Stunner, but then Undertaker pulled him off the cover. Austin fires back with a fez press and he keeps sending Kane to the outside to try and isolate the Undertaker. But the numbers gain eventually catches up with him. Undertaker accidentally punched Kane, which allowed Austin to get a few digs in again. He chokes Kane with cables on the outside, only for the Undertaker to choke Austin with some cables on the outside. And a mirror in the abdominal stretch spot from the other triple threat. Austin gets sent into the Spanish announce table and then the Stooges and Sergeant Slaughter start watching from the aisle. Austin gets backdropped on the outside trying to power drive the Undertaker. And when he recovers, he makes a beeline straight for Gerald Briscoe.
1: Yeah. Funny.
0: He managed to sneak a chair shot in on Kane, only to take a chair shot from the Undertaker... But Kane pulled Undertaker off the cover. They don't have an understanding like the Undertaker claimed.
1: Mm.
0: Get a Russian leg sweep to Kane from the Undertaker. King then questions, JR, where's McMahon? JR got into a bit of shoot territory here. It's not my day to watch him and I personally do not care. (laughs) (laughs) There was a dude in a sleeveless top who was trying to get way too touchy-feely with Kane at some point in this match as well. <laughs> I want to give him a hug. <laughs> Taker and Kane again fight over who is going to cover Austin, which leads to them simultaneously clotheslining each other, which gives Austin another lifeline. He escapes a spiked tombstone, but then Kane blocks a stunner And sends him into a big boot by The Undertaker. And the end is nigh here. We get the double chokeslam from the Brothers of Destruction. And then both men cover Austin? The referee counts for the three count. Finko is unable to announce who has won. But it's clear that Austin is not going to be the champion from this point on. Yeah. Out comes Vince McMahon. And he screams to be given the belt. He ends up carrying it out of the arena. He runs away as Austin beats up the Stooges. And then Austin heads backstage in pursuit. Eventually seeing Vince on the outside, standing at his limo, taunting Austin with the belt. It's mine, damn it!" He flips him off and leaves. We have no winner and seemingly no champion. After 22 minutes and 18 seconds.
1: Yeah. Very, very, very strange ending. Considering their sort of power struggle. And, you know, who pins Austin becomes champion. The fact that they both pin him. It was hard for me to believe Kane or Taker would then just start hitting each other. Because they want the the clean pin. Mm. Yeah,
0: watching this when I first got it. I was like, okay, I don't know how Austin's gonna get out of this, but he's gonna get out of this. Like, surely, like I thought he was a champion for ages. And then this happened, I was like, What? Yeah, very, very bizarre. It's confusing for me out of context. Going back and watching it now with Modern Eyes, the early energy in this match, it had me hoping that we'd end up avoiding the trappings of the earlier triple threat match, where it was just kind of like sauntering, brawling for a while. Yeah. But we still wound up kind of drifting there anyway. thought there was too much control from The Undertaker and Kane. There was not enough urgency in them trying to beat Austin, and the hope spots that Austin got in this match just weren't really substantial enough for me.
1: Yeah, it didn't give you that belief that, you know, Austin's going to get out of this.
0: Yeah, uh, any other thoughts about this match,
1: Kyle? Yeah, I mean, you, we're in full swing now of the Austin screw job that would, you know, last for quite a while between Austin and uh, the corporation, if you will. And it seemed to be that that was kind of like the main focus for Austin so yes he was in a match with Kane and Undertaker but he kind of felt that he had his eyes on the fact that Vince was around the corner
0: this is a very sort of Vince Russo trademark oh you gotta tune in tomorrow to find out what happens kind of thing that was really prevalent yeah so kind of a weird way to end the pay-per-view I thought
1: yeah you kind of want your pay-per-views to end in a definitive manner and even if there isn't an answer at the end of the pay-per-view it's something that we can kind of chew on whereas this you kind of left thinking ah okay
0: yeah i think when you're paying money to tune into something you do hope it's a little more self-contained yeah do you know what this actually led to, Kyle? This match? Yeah.
1: Go on.
0: Well, the next night was the start of four consecutive weeks of Austin being on an absolute tear.
1: Oh, yeah, the next night on doesn't he? He drives in, doesn't he? And he does. He ropes. drives in on yeah. his arm
0: He nearly cuts yeah. the cable out and he flies off it to clothesline, Vince. <laughs> The next week, Vince is in the hospital because Taker and Kane crushed his ankle. And that was the infamous,
1: oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. There's been a meme floating around these past few weeks saying how there's so many people like wandering around hospitals at the moment and having a look at the treatment of nurses to patients. And it's that <laughs> video. <laughs>
0: Austin spent all day trying to find the sweet spot on that bedpan. <laughs> <laughs> it got amazing results. <laughs> the week after that, Austin filled Vince's Corvette with cement.
1: He's driving a cement truck! You got a man. That's what a came in looks like.
0: And then the week after that was the infamous Bang 316 incident.
1: I think you got a little problem, Aaron. I think we got another T-shirt on the way. And I think that T-shirt might just say, McMahon 316 says I just pissed my pants. Oh, no. Oh,
0: man.
1: How humiliating.
0: Ah. Yep. That was the other thing for me going back to that time. I just found it so weird how they bring all these like vehicles and stuff out and just destroy the set all the time. It's just like, what's going on?
1: Yeah, they're very odd.
0: Thoughts on the show overall. What's your standout match and who was your standout performer? Pay per view overall. For me,
1: it wasn't the best but it it by far isn't the worst pay-per-view that I've ever seen at WCW. (laughs) Um, My favourite match out of all this was the cage match, Shamrock, Mankind and The Rock, just because it was very enjoyable all the way through. It was also the fact that I hadn't seen this before and I was really frustrated why I hadn't seen it before. For me, probably to stand out for the... The night, it's tough, really, because like, your main guys, can't undertake Undertaker, Stone Cold, Mankind, The Rock, they were all doing what they always do. So I, I don't have a standout guy, per se, but I, you know, I just think that the big guys did what they needed to do.
0: For me, this was kind of a middling show, really. It felt like an afterthought, based on what they were showing was going on in... The TV during the time and a lot of the matches were just kind of like nothing matches really, they either didn't live up to the hype or didn't really seem to have a reason to exist anyway I loved the little trinity of interviews for the Steel Cage participants Yeah, thought the six man tag was quite entertaining but my favourite match was the Edge and Owen Hart match for me Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I just thought it was the best wrestled overall. Even though it had a cheap finish, it, it left enough meat on the plate there for you. It's super weird to me. We started doing all these old pay-per-views to escape the trappings of modern WWE. And here we are looking at a pay-per-view where, for me, it peaked at the first match.
1: Yeah.
0: Standout performer. I mentioned earlier, Mark Canterbury was a really big surprise package here for me. But... I think overall, Mankind was the big performer from this show, a really entertaining promo, and just that bump in the cage, just, oh, my God.
1: The bump was nice. It was one of those things where you kind of expect it from Nick, like in, in that sort of era. Whenever he was out, you was like, right, what's next?
0: Yeah, he didn't disappoint, even if, I guess, a show kind of did. Yeah. Anyway, that will wrap it up for this edition of the Tape Trader Diaries. For our next edition, so Kyle, we're in a period where we're heading towards WrestleMania, and outside circumstances mean it's going to be taking place in a smaller venue than they were originally planning. And that sounded kind of similar to me, and it made me realize you actually lent me a tape of WrestleMania 7.
1: Yes. Yes, I did.
0: I'd missed this off our list originally, but like I said, current events and circumstances have reminded me that no, we've got this WrestleMania that fits a pattern of what's going to happen to this year's WrestleMania. Actually,
1: yeah, we can we will bob that in on the uh, on the collection that we're running through.
0: Yeah, so that'll be our next show to watch in this series. So our next show overall will be looking at WrestleMania. 2020, whatever form it takes.
1: Yeah, very interesting. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see the look and the, the way that they host
0: the show. Mm. We'll see what comes out of that. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast, on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast, and we're also on Facebook if you give us a like and a search. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, listen to us on Spotify or on SoundCloud. If you give us a follow on SoundCloud head to our page there you'll see a playlist of all of our past episodes, including my guest appearances on the Raw Nitro podcast. We're also going to be hopefully doing something again with Lee in the near future. Yeah,
1: that'd be nice.
0: Let's just say it rather fits the theme of our Tape Trader series here, but I won't spoil it because it's, it's going to be a part of my next storyline with Lee coming up once we bookend our TNA versus WWE storyline.
1: Yeah, new top secret project.
0: That'll mm. well, wrap it up then. So it's a goodbye
1: from Kyle. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening. It's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.